This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Joshua Wirth talks about Halloween. What are the origins? What does it mean to dress up as villains and heroes? Well, let's find out. Here's Father Joshua Wirth. In order to understand these three days, Halloween, All Saints Day, and All Souls Day, we have to understand our relationship with the dead. And one of the best places to read in Scripture our relationship with the dead is in 2 Maccabees chapter 12, verse 38. And here we have Judas. He's a, a warrior for the Jewish people, and they've just had this great battle, and they have to go pick up uh, the dead people. And, and this is what, what Scripture tells us happened at that point. Judas rallied his army and went to the city of Adullam. As the week was ending, they purified themselves according to the custom and kept the Sabbath there. On the following day, since the task had now become urgent, Judas and his men went to gather up the bodies of the slain and bury them with their kinsmen in their ancestral tombs. But under the tunic of each of the dead, they found amulets sacred to the idols of Jamnia, which the law forbids the Jews to wear. So it was clear to all that this is why the men had been slain. They all, therefore, praised the ways of the Lord, the just judge who brings to light the things that are hidden. Turning to supplication, they prayed that the sinful deed might be fully blotted out. The noble Judas warned the soldiers to keep themselves free from sin, for they had seen with their own eyes what had happened because of the sin of those who had fallen. He then took up a collection among all his soldiers, accounting the 2,000 silver drachmas, which he sent to Jerusalem to provide for an expiratory sacrifice. In doing this, he had acted in a very excellent and noble way, insomuch as he had the resurrection of the dead in view. For if he were not expecting the fallen to rise again, it would have been useless and foolish to pray for them in death. But if he did this with a view to splendid reward that awaits those who had gone to his rest in godliness, it was a holy and pious thought. Thus he made atonement for the dead, that they might be freed from this sin. What this shows us is that there are three churches in existence. What church teaching calls the church militant, the church suffering, and the church triumphant. So the church militant, who's that? That's us. Those here on earth, those here listening to these words that are in their trial. We are the church militant that is marching towards our heavenly reward, stomping out evil in the world, doing good works, following the footsteps of Christ, following the teachings of his church that he established, you know, marching, 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 always forward towards that heavenly goal. That's us. That's the church militant. Church suffering. Who's that? That's us souls in purgatory who are, as this Bible passage tells us, they're being purged of all their sins so that they can enter into the heavenly kingdom free from any blemish, from any drawback, from any vice. And we can help them by having masses said for them, by praying for them. We can help them in that purging process. And then the third church is the church triumphant. That is the church of 
heaven. That is the saints of heaven and how they all gather around the worship and glory of God and give praise to his name and eternal worship, eternal prayer, eternal honor and respect that they are bestowing upon God. So those are the three phases of the church, the church militant, church suffering, and the church triumphant. All this constitutes the body of Christ. So when a mass is said, the whole thing is there. The whole trinity is there. All the angels are there. All the saints of heaven are there. The church triumphant is there. The church suffering, the poor souls in purgatory are there. The church militant is there. We are all gathered as one body, the one body of Christ and an eternal worship of God. You know, here on earth, we celebrate it in a temporal, imperfect way. It's only an hour a week and it's imperfect. You know, there's people make mistakes. People drop things. People get distracted. Sometimes the homily isn't that good, but it is a foreshadowing of what is going on in the church triumphant, where there's the eternal perfect worship of God going on. And then also there's a worship of those in purgatory that are purging themselves of their final blemish before they enter into the heavenly kingdom. So this is our relationship. This is the relationship that we have with the dead. I have a little bit of history here. You know, the history of of these three days, Halloween, All Saints Day, and All Souls Day, have been pretty muddy. It's been pretty muddled, trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Unfortunately, a lot of people get their statistics from the History Channel. And the History Channel, I think, is one of the worst anti-Catholic tools out there. I mean, it's just horrible information. Thankfully, they've been discrediting themselves with all these horrible shows about ancient aliens and UFO sightings and ghost hauntings and how uh, there's no way that the Egyptians could have built the pyramids. It must have been aliens that came down and do it. So people are losing credibility. But every once in a while, they'll have a show about World War II. And people are like, all right, now I trust it. And then they'll have a show about the Catholic Church or the origins of Halloween and stuff. And people believe that, but it's it's false. The origins of Halloween first come from All Saints Day. All Saints Day was first established on May 13th. So not November 1st, but on May 13th. And this happened by uh, Pope Boniface the fourth in 615 and then it was called the feast of all martyrs and this was to commemorate the dedication of the pantheon an ancient roman temple into a christian church dedicated to the blessed virgin mary and all the martyrs there many people you know accuse the catholic church of you know taking over and baptizing or you know christianizing pagan holidays or pagan worship sites or pagan temples and some of that is true okay and some of that i can't deny like right here pope benefits the fourth and 615 established it as the feast of all martyrs commemorating the dedication of the pantheon so the pantheon was the roman temple to the roman gods and it's where the christians were given to as a sacrifice to the Roman gods, you know, where they were fed to lions or they were martyred, but they were killed and tortured and crucified and hung up and, and quartered and all these horrible things were happened to them. But now at this time, Christianity ruled Rome and Christianity ruled the Roman empire. And so they changed that pagan temple into a Christian church dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary. So what 
what is going on there? What's going on there is God won. The forces of light have conquered the forces of darkness. That the blood of the martyrs that, that was spilled there on those grounds as sacrifices to pagan gods, now they have conquered the pagan gods. That blood has conquered the pagan gods. Their sacrifice was really to Christ, to God. Their witness and unwavering faith has now been a sacrifice to God, and he has conquered the pagan worship. He's conquered the pagan gods, and now it's no longer a pagan temple. It's a, it's a Catholic church. So remember that, that good triumphs evil. You know, at the time of the martyrs, they probably could have never have guessed what good is going to come out of my death here. What good is going to come out of me dying for the faith? They could have never guessed hundreds of years later that their faith would be the ruling faith of the Roman Empire, that their faith, that where they were being killed at would be become a church dedicated to Mary. Can you believe that? But they knew when they died, one, they couldn't deny their faith, and two, that good would come out of their death. It would not go unnoticed by God, and God would bring good out of their, that evil of them being killed, which he did. So then in 844, Pope Gregory IV transferred the feast to November 1st. Some scholars believe this was a substitute to substitute a feast for the pagan celebrations during that time of year. So some people look back and say, hey, there was a Celtic pagan feast on the end of October, October 31st, and now the Pope and the Catholic Church is trying to supplant that. Well, the truth is yes and no. The truth is, it doesn't matter where he puts this feast day, there was always a pagan celebration holiday somewhere on the calendar. Christmas is in December. Many people say that's the winter solstice. You're trying to take over the winter solstice. Easter is in spring. You're trying to take over the spring solstice. No matter where you put it, it's going to be somebody's pagan because there are so many pagan religions, so many pagan holidays, so many pagan calendars. No matter what happened, you were going to end up on a pagan holiday. So, might as well, right? So, Pope Gregory IV transferred the feast to November 1st, and that's where it became not the Feast of All Martyrs, it became the Feast of All Saints. So, all the saints in heaven, even the saints that we don't know about, so it's not just the declared saints, the ones that we do know about, but all the saints that are known only to God, that they lived a saintly life, but it wasn't public and nobody really knew it, and they're in heaven as well. So that was the Feast of All Saints. Changed that by 840. Then Pope Sixtus the Fourth in 1484 established November 1st as a holy day of obligation and gave it both a vigil and an eight-day period or octave to celebrate the feast. So the vigil is very important. So the vigil means you can celebrate a mass in anticipation of the feast day the next day. So what was that vigil called? Well, since it's the Feast of All Saints, and saints are called the Holy Ones, and another way of saying holy is hallow, it became All Hallows' Eve, or All Hallows' Evening. And then if you were, depending on your accent, sometimes, you know, when people say evening, they say evening. And sometimes when people said even 
They said, Een. So they said, All Hallows Een to you. So that became Halloween. It just became Halloween. So that's where we get Halloween from, is from the vigil mass that you could celebrate vigil mass in anticipation of All Saints Day. We got Halloween, all right? The actual term Halloween, meaning All Hallows Eve. Now, with vigils, with feast days, what happens? Usually a fasting time before that. So a lot of times there was a fast going on in anticipation of this. And so one of the one of the many traditions that, that got associated with Halloween was that people would go around. They weren't allowed to eat snacks beforehand. And then they would go around and they would go to people's houses and they tell them, if you give us a snack, then we'll pray for your dead relatives. So like, so people make little, what they called soul cakes or little, little pastries. And then people go over to their house and they say, we'll pray for your loved ones if you give us these soul cakes. And sometimes they sang carols. Sometimes they sang songs. Sometimes they, they did different things. So then this tradition of going around visiting people's houses and treats got associated with Halloween. Also... What else was going on? Well, whenever you have a big feast or penitential time, you know, think of Ash Wednesday and how right before Ash Wednesday is Mardi Gras. So this time of mischief and we got to get this out of the way because, you know, this stuff is coming up and, and this holy time of the year is coming up. So all this kind of people's different traditions and different, uh, it all got mishmashed into Halloween. If there was something, if there was a scary story, if there was a, if about the dead, because this was this was all about our relationship with the dead, right? If there was a scary story about the dead, if there was, um, you know, traditions of, of mischief, it kind of got associated with Halloween, and it was blamed on, you know, well, the dead, the dead might have did it, you know, the dead souls might have did it. Then tricking, tricking people, but also treats. And also, you know, dressing up. French had a tradition of dressing up the dance of the dead. Really when it got mishmashed was when the American colonists came over. Well, British colonists, but there was a lot of different colonists. There was French, there was German, there was British. There was all these different colonists came over into America. And they started blending together their different traditions that they came from their hometown. That's why Halloween really, the way we understand it here in America, it's really a American phenomenon. You don't see it much in other countries. Now, because it's become so commercial, now you can go to other countries and they've made it into a holiday to sell stuff. And it's it's one of the, it's the second, after Christmas, it's the second most profitable holiday in America. So it all got mishmashed together. So all everything from from legends, from folklore, from from anything that was scary, it got associated with All Hallows Eve. It got associated with Halloween. That this is where the trouble is, and you know, this is where this, the dead souls cause mischief. This is where uh, you know angels and demons are fighting it out or something. It all kind of got associated with that, especially in England because of the Anglican separation. A lot of Catholic traditions were trying, they're trying to ban it. Another thing that came up was this one Catholic guy named Guy Fox. He tried to blow up the British Parliament. And so they captured him. So in order to scare people, you know, they had this kind of idea that we're going to have a Guy Fox day and everybody's going to 
kind of trick each other and scare each other on Guy Fox Day. They watch out; those Catholics are out to get you. They're gonna try to they're, they're gonna try to blow you up. And so they would dress up and they'd cause mischief and and they'd go to door to door and ask for money, you know, to stop Guy Fox or to make a little mask out of him and burn that mask or something. And like I said, all these things got mishmashed together into what we know now as Halloween. Only lately, with the rise of fundamentalism and evangelicalism, Halloween has been associated as the, as the enemy of Christianity. Well, why? One, the fundamentalist evangelicals, when they, when they read the Reformers, they don't find anything about Halloween. When they read the Bible, they don't find anything about Halloween, especially since this whole section on Maccabees that I read isn't in Protestant Bibles. It was removed for unknown reasons, but mostly because it, it said things that that they didn't agree with. So they wanted their Bible to be different than the Catholic Bible, so they removed several books of the Old Testament. This Maccabees ones that, that kind of proves purgatory and proves our relationship with the dead, they removed. So they couldn't find Halloween in there. They couldn't find our relationship with the dead in there. And they saw no reason to pray for the dead because you either went to heaven or hell. And there was no in-between. There was no purgation period between uh, your life here and, and heaven. There was no getting rid of your final sins or anything like that. So, And also, they didn't have saints. They, they no longer had a church authority that could declare somebody a saint. If they didn't have a saint, they didn't have All Saints Day. If they didn't have All Saints Day, then they didn't have Halloween. So that's why there was a rise here in America where... Halloween got associated with the devil's nights. You know, this is this is a pagan. This is a horrible thing. But really, when they're saying pagan, what they're saying is it's an anti-Catholic. You know, we're trying to be anti-Catholic. Catholics have All Saints Day, and now there's this crazy Halloween. And so we're going to try to put something up against it. And they've tried doing all kinds of different things. I even heard lately there was a Jesus ween, you know, Jesus evening that you would go and, and talk about Jesus and Bible study instead of going out trick-or-treating and stuff. But really all this is, is just silly. It's just silly, you know, rewriting a history. And history is hard to figure out. You know, we can't even figure out the history of 2008. Who caused the economic crisis in America? Who, what was the real reason behind 9-11, you know, we can't even figure out the history of a couple of years ago. So trying to figure out the history of all these pagan traditions and why was it that Pope Gregory the Fourth put it on November 1st. If I can find a document that said, I the reason I'm moving it here is because I want to stamp out this pagan holiday, I wouldn't doubt it. I would, I'd say, okay, that's probably true. But we can't find anything like that. So we just suppose, So, but we could be supposing wrong that... He just picked that day, and wherever he put it, it was going to land. It was going to land on some pe- pagan holiday, and but really, it's a great thing because either way, it points towards God's glory. It points towards the work of the saints, and it shows the real reason, which is that original feast of martyrs. You know, the commemorating of the dedication of the Pantheon, that darkness has not won. Light has overcome darkness. That good has overcome evil. And that's why I love celebrating Halloween. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Double-Edged Sword is brought to you by Messenger Catholic Books, Gifts, Music, and Art in the Centennial Plaza, Hayes. In this month of the Rosary, it's wise to remember Our Lady of Fatima's words. Pray the Rosary every day in honor of Our Lady of the Rosary to obtain peace in the world, for she alone can save it. Jacinta, one of the Fatima visionaries, said shortly before her death that God has placed peace in Our Lady's hands, and it is from her immaculate heart that men must ask for peace. Messenger has new rosaries, books on the rosaries, and CDs to help make praying the rosary an easy experience. A proud supporter of this double-edged sword show, Messenger, your local source for all things Catholic. MessengerHaze.com We're back on Double-Edged Sword with Father Joshua Wirth talking about Halloween. Now without further delay, here's Father Joshua. Even as a priest, I celebrate Halloween um, in my own way. I like to I like to uh, wear my collar. I like to be a heroic priest. In my mind, who's the most heroic priest? Well, it's actually from fiction, but from Bram Stoker's Dracula and a lot of things of that nature, where there's a, a vampire hunter priest. You know, this the idea that a priest is hunting the evil creatures of this world. So I like to dress up as one of those type of priests. And I go to the bar where everybody's dressed up in their costumes. I celebrate that with them. Because what what is Halloween? Since it's, there's this huge mishmash of all these different things in there, I think it's, I think it's a great thing because it's a great time that we can show our Catholic faith that, you know, there are heroes and villains in this world. And we could dress up as heroes. Or we can dress up as our favorite villains. Because we know that God is going to win, that good is going to overcome evil, that the light will beat the darkness. So some of the great, you know, mythical creatures of the supernatural and and, and Halloween stories and things like that, like vampires and zombies, they're really commentaries on the perversion of religion. I don't know if you know that, but traditionally vampires, well, what are vampires? Vampires are those that seek blood, other people's blood, so that they can have eternal life. And they live in the coffin, and they come out at night. And this is all the opposite of Jesus. So that's why I don't like this idea that vampires are good, because really they're an archetype of the Antichrist. They are the, they are the Antichrist. They do everything opposite that Christ does. So a priest going around killing vampires, that's what he should be doing because they, they represent the opposite of Christ, the opposite of Jesus. And so we should all be vampire killers. You know, every Christian should be a vampire killer. And what are zombies? Zombies are a perversion of this idea of the resurrection. Somebody said, well, I'm going to take the resurrection literally and all the dead people are going to rise out of their graves and they're going to be hungry and they're just going to start eating people. So that's kind of a, a scary notion, nightmare notion of 
the resurrection, a perversion of the resurrection, if you will. But that doesn't bother me either. Why? Because we should rejoice. The Christian looks at the resurrection of the dead like we do, uh, like Judas does here in the in Maccabees, and he rejoices. He says, I look forward to the resurrection dead. Why? Because heroes will be resurrected too, not just villains, that all the saints will be resurrected. That if if the dead did walk to earth, that means yes, all the all the Hitlers and the Stalins will be walking the earth, but so would all the Saint Francis and Saint Benedicts and Saint Thomas Aquinas and Saint Augustine. All the saints would be walking the earth too. And it doesn't matter how much evil is in the world. It doesn't matter how much darkness is in a room. It can't extinguish a single candle. That if you have one light, the darkness flees from it. So imagine if you had all those lights. Imagine if you had all the lights of all the saints walking the earth. And how darkness cannot overcome that. And that's why I celebrate Halloween. That's why I love All Saints Day. That's why I love All Souls Day, because it's this great opportunity to say, listen, you know, really be not afraid. You can tell all the scary stories you want. You can tell all the ghost stories you want. You can tell all the stories of, of the devil and his demons and ghosts and spooks and, and zombies and vampires, all these things that you want. It's not going to extinguish the light of one saintly life. And it's not going to extinguish the power of God. That God's going to have the final say. You know, we could tell we could tell the stories of all the martyrs that died in the Pantheon, but God conquered the Pantheon and turned it into a church. And that's the power of Halloween, is that bring out your macabre, bring out your scary, bring out your darkness, bring out your terror, and it's not going to extinguish the faith of Christian people. It's not going to extinguish the witness of the saintly lives that we have, that they are praying for us and that we're praying for the souls in purgatory and people in purgatory are, are praying for us and giving glory to God. And all this is going on in an invisible, unseen way, hidden from our senses, but seen with the sense of faith, sensed with our faith. And our faith tells us, as Jesus told us, be not afraid. So I enjoy this day and uh, I hope you do too. Halloween goes into All Saints Day where we thank the saints for, be, for their faithful witness. We ask them to intercede on our behalf, to pray for us who are still not triumphant yet, who are still not purging, who are not in purgatory purging ourselves yet, that we are still the church militant. We are still on trial. We are still, you know, at very much a risk of losing our souls. And who knows better that trial than the saints who went through some of the toughest persecutions, the most horrible tragedies, the greatest darknesses, the greatest martyrdoms. They know. And so they can say to God, God, have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. You know, sometimes in many ways, people of today are facing much harder persecution and poverty than uh, the saints ever did. And Blessed Mother Teresa, who has seen the poorest of the poor, who dug people out of the gutters, who took care of the sickest of the sick and the lepers, 
she came to America and said, America is the poorest country she has ever been to. She looked around and she saw spiritual poverty, not the good type of spiritual poverty. She saw that we were spiritually bankrupt. That's what she saw. No trust in God, no faith in God. No plans to make our country a country that gives glory to God. And she said, when will you ever have peace? How can you ever have peace when the child is not even safe in their mother's womb? And she shivered. She shivered to step foot in America. So the saints know that. They look, they look down at us and say, they're going through a tougher time than we ever did. We had to face white hot persecution but the people of america today they got to face the banality of indifference where nobody has to take our faith away we just give it away we give it away for sunday football we give it away for an extra paycheck we give it away for an hour of sleeping in we're just handing our faith away nobody has to take it from us nobody has to kill us for it Instead, we just flush it away. Saints, you know what it's like to be through this trial. Pray for us. Pray that we do not fumble the faith that you've handed on to us. Pray that we keep that faith that you've given us burning brightly and hand it on to the next generation so they too can be saved. So that's, that's a day of praise and thanksgiving for all the saints and their faithful witness. Then after that is the day, the day of the dead, the day of all souls. That's the day for us here on earth. And that's the day for all the souls in purgatory, all those that have died. And that's when we usually go to the cemetery and we have memorial candles and services for people that have died. And we ask God to intercede. You know, we have mercy on them. And we intercede on their behalf and we pray for them. And we do works of, of mercy for them. And we do works of expiation for them. And we have masses set for them. And we give alms for them. And we say extra prayers for them. So that they may quickly pass through that purging process. And they may quickly remove any stain or blemish from their soul and enter into God's glory because they can't pray for themselves. That's the weird thing about purgatory. It's kind of outside of time. So we often think about, oh, how many days am I going to have in purgatory? How many years or whatever? But it's outside of time. So there's no such thing as days or you're there until you're pure, until you're purged of everything. They can't pray for themselves because they have nothing to sacrifice. They can't even sacrifice time. So we can pray for them, though, because we can sacrifice a little bit of our time. Here on earth, we have only a finite amount of time. We can sacrifice some of it and pray for them, and that helps them. And they turn around, they get to heaven, they help us. See how that works? It's a wonderful way to look at the church that, you know, we do not follow the God of the dead. You know, we follow the God of living, that, that our souls live on. And that we look forward to that resurrection where all of God's people, and especially, you know, think about All Saints Day. Imagine if all those people were alive today. What a wonderful world this would be. You know, that's why I'm not afraid. What a wonderful 
world this would be if we were all saints, if all those saints were alive today. And that's how God is building his kingdom. One saint at a time, one beautiful soul at a time, one perfect obedience and fidelity to God at a time and populating his kingdom with those saints. And do you want to be in that number when the saints go marching in? Yes. Well, then give thanks to those saints and for their fidelity, for their obedience, for their witness and teaching us how we too can pass through this trial, through this furnace of this life, what we sometimes call the valley of tears, that we can pass through this, get rid of our final blemishes in, in purgatory and enter into that heavenly kingdom populated by the saints. So this is a, this is a great time of year. It's a, a Christian tradition. It's a Catholic tradition. And we should look forward to it every year where we can look out at the world on Halloween and say, I am not afraid of the evil of this world because I know God is stronger. And so I can dress up as a villain and I can dress up as a hero and I can scare and we can scare each other with stories and pranks and all this stuff. But God is more powerful than all the evil of this world. And then we can thank the saints for their witness and learn from them during All Saints Day. And then we can go on to pray for all those who have died and ourselves on All Souls Day so that we too may pass this trial, pass this test, that we too may look at the devil and say, I'm not afraid of you. Instead, I follow God and I'm captured not by fear, but by hope that he will save me from the evil of this world. And we're overwhelmed by it and we glory in it. And so that even the darkness holds no fear for us. Even the grave holds no terror. Instead, we always find ourselves lovingly in the arms of God, especially during this holy season of Halloween, All Saints Day, and All Souls Day. I want to remind everybody to pray for their priests and to support the faith wherever you find it. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Double-Edged Sword. If you would like to comment on today's show or have an idea for a future show, please go to D as in David, V as in Victor, Mercy.com and click on the Double-Edged Sword icon. And folks, eternity is not seen. Neither are these airwaves, but if you can support these radio waves and help save souls for eternity, then please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate, where your donation will be seen and appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio, KBDM 88.1 Hayes and KRTT 88.1 Rape Band. If today you hear his voice... Pardon not your hearts. This is Christian Lutz, owner of Schmidt Monument Works, a proud supporter of this double-edged sword show. At Schmidt Monument Works, we understand how the culture pulls us away from God, the source of all life. 
Each and every day, we work with families who have experienced the sting of death and help them to create a memorial stone that will be seen for many generations to come. As we remember our loved ones, let us fully understand that death is not the end, but the beginning of everlasting life. Jesus rose again, and so will we, along with our loved ones. Love crucified arose. The one who lived and died for me Was Satan's nail-pierced casualty Now he's breathing once again Love crucified arose And the grave became a place of hope For the heart Schmidt Monument Works dot com